Did you hear that there's a football game this afternoon? The Vikings have their first playoff game against the, the New York Giants uh, this afternoon, and I know many of you, uh, maybe most of you, will be watching. One of the things that's true about football players uh, at this time of the season is that almost every single one of them has some sort of injury, some sort of body ache or pain. Um, you've got two to 300-pound grown men running into each other as fast as they can over and over and over again for 17 games. And over the course of a season, there's going to be a cumulative effect to that. In fact, there was a study done a few years ago. I don't know how exactly they, they did this, but they, um, they studied what uh, sort of impact playing one NFL game would have on the body. And the amount of force or trauma that it goes through in the study was said that it was equivalent to being in 62 car crashes. Now, I don't know how you exactly you know, quantify that that. But here's what I do know. Um, Every player in the NFL knows that when they go out onto the field, they're going to get hit. It's not a question. They're not surprised by it. If you play football, you're going to get hit. And over time, you probably are going to get hurt. So you expect it. You prepare for it. Now, for the rest of us, when we step out onto the field of life to go to work or to go to school on Monday morning, uh, we're not necessarily expecting to get hit by a 250-pound middle linebacker. That's not going to happen. But when we step out onto the field of life, we can expect... We need to expect that we're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you. People in your life, sometimes very close to you, are going to say things that hurt you. People that you would never expect are going to do some things over the course of your life that really hurts you. People are going to offend you. And you see, while every person in here has in some ways a unique story and unique circumstances to their life, there's something that brings us all together, something that is the same for every single one of us, and that's this, that over the course of your life, Maybe on a daily basis, people in your life have said things or done things that have hurt you. We live in a a sinful world where that sin causes people not to, to act always the way that they should. And sometimes we're the problem too, right? And so as we kind of lay the the foundation for the message for today, I want to start with this truth and this thought. It's our first fill-in for today, that you can't choose how people treat you. If you could, you would change some things. 
You can't choose how people treat you, but here's what you can do. You can choose how to respond. You can choose what you're going to do with that hurt that you felt. And, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes as I was thinking about the different hurts that we experience, that not every hurt is created equal. Um, sometimes the, the hurt that we've experienced is kind of minor in the grand scheme. Like, you know, you were patiently waiting in rush hour traffic for the exit for about five minutes or 10 and there's a car coming in that butts in right at the last second to get, and they didn't have to wait at all. And <laughs> you're a little upset about that. Or, or maybe, maybe it's that someone at work uh, openly is disagreeing with your politics. Or, or maybe something that I experience, uh, it seems like all the time, is the ref gets the call wrong, Okay. And sometimes there's these types of hurts that, to be really honest, we just need to take a breath, not make a mountain out of a molehill, and relax a little bit. Sometimes we're just too tightly wound, and we need to just relax. But then there are other hurts. They, they cut deeper. They cut sharper. Maybe it's you being seemingly bullied on a daily or weekly basis at school. Maybe it's a family member or a friend who's ignored you, cut you out, or maybe they've lied to you, maybe they've lied about you. Maybe it's a spouse who you trusted and then they betrayed you. Maybe it's an authority figure who's supposed to have your best interests in mind and take care of you, but instead they hurt you or maybe took advantage of you. You see, there, there are these other hurts, and as, as I'm talking about this, most likely every person that's listening is thinking about something or someone that fits the bill, because we've all been there in one time or another. And, and honestly, sometimes the hurts that we experience can have ramifications that last weeks or months or maybe even years. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that type of hurt? Because if I stood up here and said, you know what, <laughs> just relax. Don't be so tightly wound. Just take a breath. Don't make mountains out of molehills. No, no, this was a mountain. This was a big thing. How do we cope with those things? <laughs> That's what we want to address today. And how we're going to do this is by looking into the life of someone who experienced a hurt that I would say probably equals, uh, if not greater, than anything you've experienced. And so what we're going to do is look into the life of a man in the Old Testament named 
Joseph. He lived uh, about 3,900 years ago, about 2,000 years um, before Jesus. And there is so much about Joseph's story. In fact, you could preach a whole sermon series on Joseph's life. But what what I want to do is give you a quick little summary of his life to bring you up towards the end of his life. So so stick with me. I have some things real quick that I just want to talk to you about him. So Joseph lived about 3,900 years ago. He was one of 12 brothers. Um, His father was Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons through four different women. Joseph was his favorite because he came from his favorite wife. Now, I was thinking about this. I have a favorite wife happens to be the only one I have. Jacob had a favorite wife, and it was one of a few, and so this caused, this caused problems. Joseph was his father's favorite, and, well, his brothers were jealous of him. He gave Joseph special gifts. Uh, all of you probably know the one that we think about the most is that coat of many colors, And so his brothers started to be jealous. And and one day, um, when Joseph was 17, uh, Jacob, the dad, sent him out to go check on his brothers who were tending the family sheep. And as the bros saw him coming from the distance, uh, they started talking amongst themselves, like, we should kill this guy. We could blame it on a wild animal. Dad won't know any difference. And then one of the older brothers' name was, was Judah. He kind of spoke. And he's like, no, we shouldn't kill him. Let's just sell him. Let's, let's sell him. In, let's make some money off it. Let's sell him into, into slavery. And that's exactly what they did. They sold J- Joseph to some Egyptian slave traders. And so Joseph's life changed entirely. He he went from having a pretty good life to not being able to choose what he did or when he did it, when he ate or what he ate. I mean, he was owned. His life changed dramatically. And then, oh, by the way, it got worse. Because Joseph actually was a really good servant or slave, The guy that he worked for, we know as Potiphar, um, his wife made some sexual advances on Joseph. Joseph did the exact right thing and refused them. The wife gets upset and tells her husband a lie that Joseph actually was the one who came on to her. And guess where Joseph ends up? He's a slave who's now in prison. He's in prison for a while, And it comes to happen that Pharaoh has a dream that he's wondering what the the meaning to it is. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph, by God's help, had, you can read it for yourself, had been able to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh brings the dream to Joseph. God works through Joseph and gives him the meaning to the dream. Basically, Egypt was going to have seven years of lots of food, And then they were going to suffer seven years of famine. There would be a drought. (laughs) And the most amazing thing happens. Pharaoh is so thankful for what Joseph did with interpreting the dream that, get this, in 24 hours, Joseph goes from being a servant, slave, prisoner to 
appointed to the second most powerful person in Egypt, only short of Pharaoh. He was uh, charged with making a plan to collect food for seven years and then to distribute it once the famine happened. And so the seven years of plenty come, Joseph is directing that, then the seven years of famine start, just like he had predicted. Joseph's in charge of distributing. Well, this famine also affected a neighboring country, Canaan, Israel, where Jacob and um, 11 sons lived. And so Jacob says, hey, guys, uh, I've heard there's food in Egypt. Go, um, go see if we can get some. <laughs> and one day Joseph is doing his second most powerful person in Egypt work. And 10 dudes from Israel walk in and Joseph recognizes them right away. They're his brothers. Now, they don't recognize him. And that makes total sense. One, it's been 22 years since they last saw him. Number two, why would they expect him, the slave, to be in a position of leadership and power in Egypt? Number three, he was speaking Egyptian. Number four, he was dressed like an Egyptian. He probably, I don't know why I'm saying this, walked like an Egyptian as well, I'm sure. <laughs> you were thinking it, uh, so I just had to say it. Wasn't, wasn't in the script. Um, they don't recognize him. And the guys who hurt him so much are standing right in front of him. In fact, they're bowing in front of him. Do you know what Joseph could have done? Anything he wanted. These people who hurt him deeply, who changed the trajectory of his life, Joseph hasn't seen his dad in 22 years. He wasn't able to say goodbye. He wasn't with family that loved him. All because of these 10 guys in front of him. And he could have opted for what most of us would like to give to people who hurt us, revenge. He could have done whatever he wanted to them. He could have caused them whatever pain he wanted he was in control. The tables had turned. And what follows, to me, just my opinion, is one of the most dramatic and beautiful moments in the entire Old Testament. Genesis 45. Then, the 10 brothers are in front of him. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, everyone leave my presence. And I'm sure the 10 brothers are wondering what is going to happen next. Is this normal? Verse two. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph wept so loudly, started sobbing, that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Most likely, 
Before this moment, Joseph had been speaking Egyptian through an interpreter. This was the first time that Joseph spoke the language that they all spoke, Hebrew, that his brother spoke, and revealed that he was the brother they had sold into slavery. Continues, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Uh-oh. Last time we saw this guy, we were making some money off him and getting by selling him into slavery. What's going to happen? How's he going to react? What's he going to do to us? Well, let's see, verse four. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse six. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance, verse 8. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen, uh, the nice part of Egypt, and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all that you have. And when Joseph is in front of some brothers that have hurt him tremendously, have detoured the last 22 years of his life, Joseph could have opted for revenge, or at the very least, indifference. But instead, Joseph opts for love. And not only does he offer to give the family food, he invites them to come and live near him. Now, how does that happen? How how does these brothers show up in a, very much unexpected way, and and, and Joseph is able to respond with love. Here's how. Because at some point prior to that interaction, Joseph had to have worked through the feelings that he had had about what his brothers did. At some point, long before Joseph had a chance to either opt for revenge or to show love, Joseph had to surmise or to think about the debt that he received and the debt that the brothers owed him. 
and to cancel that debt and to forgive. You see, forgiveness, canceling of someone's debt, not holding it against them anymore, it has power. And maybe one way to think about it is our second fill-in for today. Forgiveness helps release your present from the grip of the past. You see, the longer we hold on to the hurt of the past, and by the way, I'm not saying that it wasn't a big thing or a big deal, but the longer you hold on to that hurt, the longer it will affect you. Some of the most unhappy, bitter people are that way because there's unforgiveness going on in their hearts and their minds. And it's like this weight. If I gave you a 150-pound backpack to wear and never take it off, after a while, you're going to be crabby because you're carrying this weight that hurts. And that's what unforgiveness is like. It's like, here's a 150-pound backpack. Now carry it along everywhere you go. The reality is, we don't have to. We don't have to carry that with us. I'm not saying it's easy. We'll come back to that in a second. I'm not saying that it happens always just in a snap of a finger. But the truth is that God has allowed an awesome way to release ourselves from the grip of the past. It's called forgiveness. So as we, we think of the brothers, it's interesting. You see, forgiveness can be a blessing to the offender. <laughs> the brothers were blessed, weren't they? Joseph didn't kill them. It's a blessing. But also, forgiveness is a blessing to the forgiver. Because it allows the person who forgives to live lighter, with more joy, without carrying a weight that, oh, by the way, we do not need to carry. You see, another way to think about it is that when that person hurts you, it's like this open wound that you have. And, and what happens when an open wound gets hit? Whew. Hurts. But when we forgive, it, it, it closes the wound. It doesn't allow it to hurt so much. Yeah. In some ways, it, it does feel like Joseph kind of left them off the hook. Don't they owe him something? How about an apology? Well, well that, would, that would come for Joseph, but maybe it doesn't always come for you. Number three, forgiveness finds its peace in the reality that God's the one in control, not you. Forgiveness finds peace in the truth that I don't need to make sure that the person who offended me or hurt me knows that it hurt me or, know, or gets what's coming to them. It finds peace 
in the truth that I don't need to control that, that God is in control. Now, we, you saw that, didn't you? I'm going to remind you of it in the verses that we read. Um, here's what Joseph came to realize. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God Maybe Joseph's forgiveness came for his brothers um, after he went from slave to second in command. We don't, we don't know when it happened, but what we do know is that Joseph looked back on his life and he came to see that God had a plan in this very hurtful thing that happened in his life. And he was able to kind of tie a nice tidy bow on the hurt that he experienced. Now, here's what I know. Not all of you will be able to do that same thing. For Joseph, it was pretty obvious what God was up to and God was doing through that hurt. There's no promises that you will ever see or know exactly why something happened to you. But even though we don't know all the specifics, here's what is true. Even in the midst of the hurt, God is still in control. Even if you don't know the details, even if you don't know all the exact whys, I want you to know God's still in control. He still walks with you. He still has a plan for you. And as the Bible says, all things work out for the good of those who love him. God has a plan for it. Now, don't ask the pastor what exactly it is because I don't know. But I trust that God is still in control. Now, about 2,000 years after Joseph, there was a church planter, pastor named Paul. He was writing to some Roman Christians who were going through immense, intense and immense persecution in Rome for following Christ. And, and Paul wrote this to them. He said, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. All right, that's what I'm looking for. God's gonna get them. God, if you want you know, some ideas of things to do. I've been thinking about this for a while. You could take their job away. You can make their life hard. How about a really difficult, very itchy and gross foot fungus? You know, that some, I, got, I got ideas, Lord. Just ask me. And God's like, no, I don't, I don't need to tell you what I'm up to. I don't need your ideas. It doesn't work that way with me. And oh, by the way, I did not take revenge out on you when you disobey me. You see, he's not looking for ideas. We just need to let God decide what's just. Just trust him. He knows how you were hurt. He knows what you've gone through. He knows things about that person that you don't know. He has plans for this situation that you can't even begin to scratch the surface of. He knows. You're not the one, friends, that that need to, to hold the weight of figuring out how to make things fair. 
And isn't that a great feeling? I don't need to make it right. God says, I've got this. You live in peace. It's still hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's easy to think about, okay, um, this guy with 10 brothers 3,900 years ago, like, yeah, you should forgive, Joseph. And then I started to think about some people that I need to forgive. <laughs> it's harder, isn't it? I think one of the things that's really good to recognize is that in many ways, the, the Joseph and his brother's account worked out mm, maybe cleaner than what it looks like in my life at times, or maybe yours. And I think it's important for me to point out this, that forgiveness doesn't mean that everything needs to be the same as it used to be with the person who hurts you. Like, what I'm saying is, um, the person hurts you and you don't need to invite them to buy the house next door. Invite them to Goshen, right? <laughs> like, at times, one of the healthiest things to do when someone's hurt you is something, uh, is a word called boundaries. It's to set up certain boundaries. That, that is totally healthy, and boundaries and forgiveness, they can, they can coincide. <laughs> I think you'll know if you forgave more than anyone else. Because it starts right in here, and right here. Let me ask, can you pray for that person? And not like, Lord, please make their life hard. That, not that prayer. <laughs> can you pray that God would be with them and watch out for them? When you're in the same room or when the, the topic, the name comes up or when you see something on social media about them, can can you have a, a kind thought or not a vindictive one? Um, these, are, these are little signs and signals of whether there's forgiveness and someone once likened forgiveness to throwing mud on a wall. It sticks for a while and then it can just fall off when it dries. It can be, it maybe needs to be a continual thing. You know, um, I told you that what we read was one of the most uh, beautiful and dramatic events in the Old Testament. I've got one that beats it. See, someday we all are going to be standing in front of a king. Someday Jesus is going to return. And, and we're going to stand before him as people who've held grudges, who've lived in unforgiveness, who at times have been the one that other people are trying to forgive. <laughs> we got it wrong. People who mess up on a, on a daily basis. And, and God's going to look at you, Jesus is. And instead of enacting revenge... He's going to say, come live with me. I want you to live next to me. You've heard about Goshen. It's better. And I want you to be with me forever. 
And that's because 2,000 years ago, Jesus said about you and me, as sinful as we are, I will take their punishment. I will suffer what they deserve. I'm willing to die so that they have forgiveness. Someday we're going to be a part of one of the most beautiful and powerful scenes this world has ever seen, and we are going to be the beneficiaries. And so, as we close, last slide. We give what we already have been given. Isaiah wrote that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions and that we'd be crushed for our iniquities. And he was. Forgiveness is hard. Does it take time? Sometimes. But God, God does not give you an option. He does not say, forgive if you want. He says, forgive as I forgave you. We give what we already have been given. We're beneficiaries of a God who chose forgiveness. I pray for you as we work to do the same. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, I know that a, a message like this uh, hits all of us a little bit differently and we're all thinking probably of, of different people that have hurt us and Lord, uh, there are things that we shouldn't just uh, sort of push down into our hearts, but we need to, we need to deal with that. It might be a conversation with that person if that hasn't happened yet. but it absolutely does mean forgiveness. Lord, give us the strength and the power to do what is hard, to opt for forgiveness rather than revenge. I pray that we understand just how powerful it is to forgive, not just for the person forgiven, but for the forgiver as well. And pray that you move us to do this difficult thing as we remember the difficult work that Christ, your son, did to forgive us. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.